this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership, and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. Hello, I'm Joe. And TJ. And we are the Schoolhouse 302, and this is our 302 Thoughts which is a part of our One Thing series where we dive into our blog post for this month. And this month we featured incredible black educators from then and now. And we wanted to dive in today and discuss with our good friend, Dr. Salome Thomas L., otherwise known as Principal L. L., thanks for being on the show with us today. I'm, I'm honored to be here, bro. And um, I'm just loving the fact that you guys have understood and realized for decades, right? This is what really makes me so proud of you. For decades, you've been committed to serving young people, all children, but also recognizing that their experiences are enriched by the power of the teachers and leaders who surround and touch them each day. So I'm honored to be here. We appreciate that. TJ, why don't you, um, we, we don't think L needs any introduction, but just in case some of our audience um, is not aware of the incredible work and his professional and personal journey, why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about Principal L? Absolutely, Joe. Dr. Salome Thomas L has been a teacher and principal in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Wilmington, Delaware, our home state, since 1987. He's currently the head of school at Thomas Edison Public Charter School in Wilmington. He received a national acclaim as a teacher and chess coach at the Vall Middle School, where his students have gone on to win world recognition as eight-time national chess champions. You can see it all over the news. Principal L was a regular contributor on the Dr. Oz show and the author of the best-selling books, I Choose to Stay and The Immortality of Influence, both of which we will talk about today. And actually for The Immortality of Influence, if you take a look, Will Smith wrote the foreword to that book. The Walt Disney Company optioned the movie rights to I Choose to Stay. And so we are very excited to discuss that work and what that means to you today, L. We know that Principal L speaks to groups across the country and frequently appears on C-SPAN, CNN, NPR radio, and more. He's received the Marcus A. Foster Award as the Outstanding School District Administrator in Philadelphia and the University of Pennsylvania's Distinguished Martin Luther King Award. Reader's Digest magazine recognized Principal L as an inspiring American icon, and he has appeared on Oprah Radio. With actually Joe and I, he has co-authored uh, our first book together called Passionate Leadership, Creating a Culture of Success in Every School, and then our second book together, which is Building a Winning Team, The Power of a Magnetic Reputation and the Need to Recruit Top Talent in Every School. We have a new book with Principal L available for pre-order, which is called Retention for a Change, Motivate, Inspire, and Energize Your School Culture. In our last 
two books, we really talked about this concept of diversity, the need for diversity in schools. And that's why we highlighted the six educators we did this month. Joe, why don't we jump right in to some of these concepts? Thank you, TJ. Let's hop right in and let's dig deep quick. We're not going to waste any time today. So El, let's, I want to dig right in. We know that people of color make up roughly about 20% of teachers and really of that a mere 2% are black men. You've led a career changing students' lives. Can you walk us through a little bit about that, how you got into education and how that can inspire and really start to attract other teachers of color, but also black men. And we know that our students benefit from those that look like them, who are in front of them, who are teaching them. Can you speak to that a little bit and your own professional and personal journey? Wow, you're getting right in deep. No warm-up sets, huh? So you both in the gym. So yeah. No, no warm-up. We don't got time for that. <laughs> Nobody got time for that, as the kids say. But listen, man, yeah, you, listen, it has really been you know, a journey, you know, really has. And, um, um, you know, I, I grew up in, in Philly, in, in the Philly housing projects in North Philly, same housing projects as Don Staley, coach of the University of South Carolina, and, you know, Hank Gathers, Aaron McKee, to sit, you know, just amazing people, but, 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 and all educated by some wonderful teachers, but the folks who impacted me the most, because even before me, they were amazing, you know, because I was a high school, you know, athlete. They were amazing athletes who came before me uh, and great coaches, you know, the great John Chaney, who just passed away, coached at Simon Gratz, where I graduated. Um, uh, just so, you know, so many. But th th those teachers are the ones that I remember, the ones that I know who, who impacted me, you know, in a tremendous way. Most often, if I was influenced by a, 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 a Black male, male of color, uh, most often it would be in a coaching relationship, but we did have, you know, some um, black male teachers, but we also, you know, we you know, often tell the story. We had, you know, when I was at Simon Gratz, we had a, a state champion level uh, wrestling team and the wrestling coach um, was a, 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 a older white guy, you know, Coach Ingram. And I tell people all the time, like Coach Ingram was like a father, you know, like we didn't think about, man, I got a white dad. It was like, he was a father you know, to us. So even if you weren't on the, and I wasn't on the wrestling team, but we celebrated their success. And Coach Ingram was just a, a great role model because he knew he had to lift those black men up out of that community and hope that some of them would come back and help to diversify the teaching uh, the, the teaching force. Um, raised by a single mom, my mother raised six boys as a single mom, two girls, eight kids total. I was the next to the youngest. Um, my mother would often, um, you know, she, she worked as a paraprofessional in school district and, and really talked about the importance of, of listening and following the teachers. And when I went on to high school and, and uh, I, went to, I went to Masterman, um, which is a school for gifted students in elementary and middle school. And I went to Simon High School and um, inner city high school, great teachers, great students. Went away to college to a predominantly white school in, in East Stroudsburg at East Stroudsburg University started realizing then, I think as I became older, the differences in my educational experiences at this gifted school where I had been separated from the community, then going to my neighborhood high school, then going away to a predominantly white school where 100 black freshmen or freshmen of color 
my freshman year, my senior year, just four of us still there, you know, and thinking about how that would impact the community, but also, uh, um, the you know, the education of, of so many other people. And um, I actually started working in television, man. I had this great job working for Prism Sports. I worked for, it was an arm of Sports Channel and, um, and um, worked for what we called the NBA Beat. Every month we spend a week interviewing, um, you know, NBA players and, and uh, would often, you know, hear these guys talk about how their teachers were so important. And, you know, Michael Jordan went back to finish school. You know, Vince Carter went back to finishing. And I decided I started substitute teaching and, and I was bit immediately. I realized those kids will make you feel like you can walk on water. And I decided that I would, I would, I said, forget the TV career. I quit, you know, and, um, and enrolled in, in a master's program and just took off from there and, and, and walked in and realized early in my career, working in a high school, that high school reform does not begin in high school. That, that the kids and, you know, the, you know, the majority of kids who drop out, drop out in the ninth grade or before at least make that decision. So I knew we had, to, we had to impact kids at a much earlier age. And that was why I dedicated my career at that point to working with children um, in, in, in K to eight schools, because I wanted to go to impact, especially those young men in a way that, um, that would help them to shape their educational experiences early on in a in positive way. Let's get into strategy. So I want to come back to your entry point because I think that's important for inspiration and to get more African-American leaders into our school system in the first place. But before we go back to that, I'd like to talk strategy. You said that you wanted to work with the early grade students and that you were focused on working with them and making sure that they were successful so that they didn't get to that ninth grade dropout point. Tell us what you did. So what I decided to do um, when I started working with younger students is I knew that if those students weren't really reading at grade level by third, fourth grade, that it would be difficult for them to be able to navigate successfully through middle school and high school. And to be quite honest with you, most researchers will tell you if we don't get to these kids as early as K one and two, that they're, they're going to you know, struggle. You know, uh, oftentimes prison rates, um, prison construction rates are developed based on the reading scores of black and Latino males. 90 plus percent of prison inmates, male, female, juvenile or adult, were never reading at grade level when they were in school. So if we want a kid in Penn State and not the state pen, and I knew I had to help teach kids how to read early on and had to support teachers with the resources and the knowledge, the professional development, um, the, 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 the feedback, the observations, the, uh, the, the, the peer observations, the, uh, uh, just the, the, un the unified effort of all teachers to improve you know, one another and coaches and uh, administrators. But I also realized that I had to teach students how to think strategically. And I know you said, you started this segment off, you know, let's, this question would let's be strategic. That was basically my plan, TJ that I had to be strategic and intentional about it. And that was when I decided that I needed to teach students how to play chess. That these students needed to realize that their life was a chessboard and that every decision they made, especially I had two young students early in my career who had been murdered at a wrong, one female and one male teenagers who had been at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I said to myself, wow, great kids, wrong place made a bad decision. 
I've got to find a way to teach kids to make better decisions. These are good kids who are making bad decisions who need to realize that you can choose the behavior, but you can't choose the consequences. And see, that's something we're learning now uh, with the adults that we're seeing in leadership. Be careful of what you say and what you do because you that you can control. You can't control the, can't control the consequences. So I started teaching students to play chess. I started teaching them mathematics on the chessboard because we don't teach children enough to critically think and problem solve. And then we send them to middle and high school expecting these teachers to kind of do all of this work without that foundation being there. So, uh, and I started with special education students. So I started teaching them mathematics on a chessboard and thinking I was just teaching them mathematics, but I was really giving them intellectual capital. They were walking around the school carrying chessboard. And if you don't think anything else about a kid who carries a chessboard, you assume that they are intelligent. So I learned early on that smart is not something you are. It is something you can become. And so these students were beating me, beating other teachers, other, other students. And that was when I realized I was on to something that this is because most of my students wanted to be Michael Jordan. They wanted to be somebody famous. They wanted to be a famous rapper, but they wanted notoriety. They wanted people to knew, know who they were. And I told them, you take up chess, develop your mind. I'll make you just as famous as you would be if you were an athlete. And I, um, and I, I did just that. I reached out to the media and said, we want black kids. We want Latino kids. We want females to be successful. Then we have to give them that exposure. And they and they, and they and they bought they bought into it and and that was the key for me that was a game changer that was a great equalizer for me getting kids because these students not only did they start playing chess they started beating everybody and that was and so for them they began to see wow you know this is great now they were they were losing initially but when they started winning it was no stopping that boulder you know from rolling they these kids went on to high school college law school but the key was early on teach them to think and then uh, support the teachers in developing their critical thinking skills, problem solving, reasoning, and their ability to be able to teach those skills to other kids. Elle, if you don't mind, just pure out of curiosity, and, and you know, the three of us has traveled around the nation. I've seen you play chess on your phone all the time. <laughs> um, how did you or how were you first introduced to chess and start loving the game yourself? Um, honestly, like I, I, I'm, I'm no good at chess. I've never learned how to play. It is something unique. I think a lot of people um, don't necessarily enter that world. And so right. would you mind, I just, even out of curiosity, as long as we've been friends now, I don't think I've ever asked you just, how did you even start playing chess yourself? Right. It's a real, it's a real unique story. It's funny. It's a very short one. Um, and just so you know, when I, when I'm playing chess on my phone and we're talking, I am listening to you, but I'm just doing two things at one time. But, uh, and actually most times we see me playing chess, some kids have ways beating you in chess. Um, but my brother actually taught me when I was a kid, but he only taught me enough moves so he could continue to beat me. Right. My older brother. So I love when he comes to visit me, I have a chessboard sitting right here. And every time he comes, I commence to whooping his behind because, you know, I, I realized how much he didn't teach me. I actually learned through teaching other children. And, and that's why, you know, you mentioned that most people don't delve into it. They don't because you have to because one thing when you start playing chess, you're going to be the worst person in the room. So you have to embrace the philosophy that failure is motivating. Success can be paralyzing right away. 
like I'm going to struggle, but this is going to motivate me to continue. Um, and so it, it, it's amazing for me because to watch these young children, they're really not phased when they lose. It's the adults who, you know, who struggle with it. But chess is so great because it's a game that children can teach themselves. So oftentimes as teachers, we may struggle with it because th this is something students really don't need us to learn. They get a chess book and a chess board, they can teach themselves and they learn from losing you know, to, uh, to other people. But that was pretty much how I learned. My brother got me into it. Then I was in college, I played a little bit. But when I started teaching, now here's the story. When I robbed at Vox Middle School in 1989, I started talking to people about how, I, you know, I've been playing chess and studying out, you know, chess is very mathematical, knights move on right angles, bishops move on diagonals, chess boards a large square contains 64 smaller squares. Children have to write their notes in algebraic notation. You record every move in algebraic notation. So imagine kindergarten, first and second grade students writing their moves in algebra early on. That brain matter, because 90% of the brain is developed by the time you're five or six years old. After that, we're pretty much done. So we have to get to those children early and chess is the way, you know, to do it. But the folks there at Vox said, you know, years ago, there was a historic program. The coaches had left, you know, why don't you restart the program? And I had a buddy there who was a paraprofessional, um, wasn't a teacher, but he had a great relationship with the students and from the community. And I said, listen, these kids are not going to come because I asked them. I need you. But I had to humble myself and say to him, listen, you're not on my level, you know, you know, my in, in position wise, but you probably have more capital than I do. Help me do this. And when we joined together, the kids and they also saw two black men, right, who were out there recruiting them to come. And so they just some were there just to be in our presence, which we, we didn't mind. We just need you to come. And um, and it just opened the doors. So everyone, then the girls join, and you guys know you're married. The women, they just took over. You know, once the girls joined the chess team, you know, it was, you know, it was a, it was a wrap. Then one of our girls beat Arnold Schwarzenegger in a chess match. And, um, and the program just, you know, took off from there. But that was my introduction. And I have um, I've made sure that I continue to stay true to those principles is that the, the goal is not to create winners. It's to build resilient kids. Because teaching kids to be resilient it's not about teaching them how to become successful. It's about teaching them how to respond when they're not successful. And that's what chess teaches our young people. So many powerful messages in there for educators and anyone listening today about teaching resilience, about an entry point for kids, about algebraic reasoning. Um, I love all of that. And I really do think that it's even as an extracurricular, we know that that danger zone after school, when kids go home, just using the chest to, to get them into a library or a classroom and not out there on the streets is a strategy in and of itself. Let's go back to your entry point into education and this concept we talk about needing to attract African-American leaders, Hispanic leaders into our schools so that our kids can see themselves in their teachers, in their principals, how can we do a better job with that? What What would you say? You said you wrote, "I choose to stay," but we need people to choose to enter into the profession. How can we do a better job with that? So I think it's you know multi-step. Um, I think it's going to require united effort, different strategies. But I think that one key is going to be that we have to express to young people 
that we're proud that we made this choice, that this is not something that we had to do. That's why I, that's why I, I wrote, I choose to stay. I made that choice. Um, and, and there are great benefits to it, you know, make, making those choices. But we choose to impact children. As leaders, we choose to impact teachers. And I, um, and that's why, you know, I, I developed a shirt, you know, for that, that educators over 35 states are wearing in 30 days, you know, stating expressing that they choose to stay. And that, and that doesn't mean in the classroom. You can be a leader. You're choosing to stay in the profession, in leadership. Maybe you're choosing to stay in, in, in a family situation, in the community, but just make a choice, take a stand. And I think we have to express that to young people that we love what we do. We wake up every day with determination. We go to bed every night with satisfaction, knowing that we made a choice to impact lives. That's what leadership is all about. That's what transforming a schools in, a, in challenging times is about, is making decisions and choices. So number one, let's be open and honest with the world that we're proud that we are educators, that we're teachers, that we're leaders, that we, we chose impact over compliance long ago. And that's why we make the connections. That's why we develop these relationships with young people. Number two, we have to go where they are. As, as Joe stated earlier, 2% of our profession are black males. There are, there are some school districts, there's some states that hire one or two black males per year. There are some school districts who haven't hired a black male in over seven years, right? So, and, and, and I'm a black male who became a teacher. Most of my teachers were, were white female. They impacted me. But I also know when anyone opens up a yearbook, when anyone opens up a photo album, they look for themselves first. They look for their photo. So for the kid who's looking for their photo, we've got to recruit and encourage more black males to get involved in the profession. More teachers of color, you know, black, Latino, um, Asian, it doesn't matter, you know, who you are, wherever you, Middle East, wherever you are, we need you to make that choice to join us in this fight to, uh, to, to save our children. That means we've got to go to these historically black colleges. Kamala Harris is from Howard University. So you obviously see Howard University is producing some scholars. Let's go to Howard and recruit some teachers and some administrators. Let's go to Cheney University. Let's go to Lincoln University. Let's go to, let's go to Clark. Let's go to Moab. Let's go wherever they are. Let's, let's go into the community. Let's, let's get young people early. Number three, this is on this early piece, is we need to start schools in our public school system where we are training young people to major in education in college. We need academies. Now there are some, but not enough. We need academies where we are training young people early on to become teachers. Even in high school, they can get some intern experiences um, in, in, in preschool and daycare centers. But let's, get, let's plant that seed early before they get bit by the bug to be an attorney, to be, to, 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 to be a doctor, you know, to whatever they, whatever they choose to do. That's great, but we need some of them to come back and choose to teach, choose to be a nurse, choose to be a counselor. Because, one, and because when you become a teacher or nurse or counselor, then you can become a leader in the school. And that's, we have to, have, we have to develop a pipeline. That right now, there's a, there are school districts that are fighting over. I mean, you guys know, you, every time there's a, a, a leader of color available, you're the first ones trying to find a way to interview them. You, you're playing your own chess match. 
The issue is we've got to find a way to get more in the pipeline. And that happens by getting them into, like you say, TJ, choosing to teach into the profession. So that means we've got to find a way to get better salaries, got to get better working conditions. So many other, you know, so many other, uh, uh, of course, important facets to it. But the idea is we've got to go where they are and take them to where we need them uh, to go. I don't think enough could be said, Al, about what you hit on about the community and the early formative years, getting students to think that this is a viable pathway for them. Because I think most of us who have made it a, a clear point to increase the number of teachers of color, we, we attend the HBCU, um, you know, the days in which they have their, their um, you know, their job fairs and so forth. And the number of students even going into the profession just continues to decline. So I don't think enough can be said about making this attractive, which then speaks to school culture and people feeling welcome in their schools and this being a viable pathway for them. And I think that's a whole nother very difficult conversation to have is what is the experience in particular of our students are black and Latino males in school and how do they feel welcome? How do they feel a part of the school? And would that ultimately lead them to think of this as a possibility for them because they've had a good experience? But if that experience was negative in any way, there's no way they'll want to be a part of that system. So right. I well, think, think well, think about and, and think about a teacher, you know, who feels good about where they are. Think about a teacher who like loves their building, loves their school. Now, not not that teacher isn't saying my job is easy. That teacher isn't saying that you know it's, this is cake. This is cake. The teacher said it's challenging, but it's rewarding. And I love it, and I'm supported. I feel special. That's why it's important to highlight these folks. We've got to find a way to make sure people know who these educators are. And these educators need to know that they are valued enough that they're going to be highlighted. They're going to be celebrated and not just tolerated. So, you know, school culture, Joe, that, I mean, that's powerful. I missed that in my answer, but that's an important piece of it. When you have a strong culture, because many young people will tell you, I wanted to be a teacher, but the adults who were teaching told me not to be a teacher. So we can have a, a, a tremendous impact on them. So if I'm in a if I'm in a building where I feel value, where I, where I, I feel lifted up, I'm going to lift other children and say, I need I can't wait for you to join the ranks because I had teachers tell me that that they looked forward when they knew that I became a teacher, they looked forward to working to working with me, Joe. So that that's that's a powerful piece that you just hit on that I missed on, but that culture, that environment, that uh. That, that, that positivity that exists is a great way to get young people into feeling like, yeah, I want to be a part of that. I want, I want to do that kind of work. I want to talk a little bit about some of the how with that for our listeners who want some takeaways. Um, one thing that comes to mind for me is just fun. I think people go into a profession for a couple of reasons. One, they want to make a lot of money. That's not going to happen in education. Right. It's a. It's definitely a viable career. I think the salaries are decent. The benefits are ph phenomenal. It is a, a way to live a, a very good lifestyle, but you're not going to get rich. So that's not going to be the attracting feature. I do think another reason why people choose an education uh, um, a profession is they want they have a passion that it looks fun it looks like something they'd love to spend their life doing 
And I think we need to have more fun in schools, be more realistic about the fact that if it's boring, then people aren't going to look at it as something that they want to spend the rest of their life doing. The standards movement, of course, was needed. We know why that happened, but it creates curriculum that we need to cover and concepts that I think teachers feel compelled to work on that sometimes takes away from personalized learning and kids having fun. Let's talk about that for a little bit. How can we make what happens inside the four walls fun, attractive, something that a kid, any kid, but particularly kids of color can look at and say, yeah, I want to spend the rest of my life doing that too. Cause that lady looks like she's having a heck of a time. Right. I mean, think about, I mean, the, the teachers we remember are the teachers who made, made us made, you know, made school fun. We enjoyed being in their presence, you know? And, uh, and sometimes we may have been the object of their jokes, but you know what? It was okay because you just made a tough day a little easier, you know, for me. So I think what well, we, we've got to get uh, teachers to understand, and many do, but um, that two things students need to experience in school every day are rigor and joy, right? We want them to be challenged, but we want them to enjoy the challenge so much that they're rushing to get to the school bus to get back the next day because they just enjoy the fact that you challenge them. These students don't mind if the work is hard or difficult. They'll complain about it. I'm telling you, you, you guys know, They'll complain all day, but they'll come right back. My eighth graders complain all year this senior year about how they can't wait to graduate and get out and, 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 and come to your school districts, right? I can't wait to leave you and go with, with Dr. Jones, Dr. Byron, get away from you, right? Okay, all right, good. The day after graduation, they get right on that school bus and come back to school. And they come every day. After, and then when they're in high school, they come back. They even wear their high school, they even wear their middle school shirts when they attend your high school because those children will always push back is what children do, but they know that discipline is a form of love. They know struggle is learning, but they had fun in school. And, and you're right, we have to inject that. You know, even in our teacher prep program, they've gotta be fun. Teachers have to, because if the classes are fun, then teachers know that their classrooms need to be fun, need to be based in, in joy and love and empathy you know, impatient. So in, in order to do that, we have to model that, guys, as, as, as school and district leaders, we have to model that. Our meetings need to be fun. Teachers shouldn't be complaining about professional development about our meetings. They should be going and bragging and telling everybody about it because then they will go and emulate that in their classrooms. So we need to model that. And even when we give feedback, right, when we go in and we observe a teacher and we notice that the kids were having fun and enjoying it, we need to point that out to them. Let them know that's what we want. That's the goal. I don't mind that half the kids got the answer wrong. I love the fact that they laughed at each other and you and you supported them in their struggle. To me, that means more than going in the room and every teacher getting every kid getting every response correctly because you promised them a, a pizza if, um, if they just followed the script. No, that doesn't, I'm not impressed by that. I'm impressed by the fact that children are enjoying their presence because when they do, then they know that education is a journey. It's not a, a destination. That it's something that they're on. It's a relentless pursuit of excellence, along with bringing joy, you know, to children. Some who are living in some struggling times, struggling lives, but who need to know that hey, you loved me before you ever met me. So there's no way that you will ever doubt me 
and um and and I'm and I'm having fun here. And then there are different ways we do. I like I rap for my kids. You know, people know what they talk about. I go in my classrooms and I hit old school raps. The kids complain about it. We don't want to hear that old school. We want to hear Drake or Cake or you know uh you know 35 Cent whoever they want to hear from. You know, I tell them, listen, no, no, no. We invented rap, not you, not those guys. But it's fun for them. And as soon as I walk out the room, they say, Principal, well, hit one more of those raps. Because they have, and I'm rapping about education. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm rapping about, you know, who gets weaker, the king or teacher. It's not about a salary. It's all about reality. Teachers teach and do the world good. Kings just rule and most are never understood. So these are all old school raps from rappers, but they talked about education. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep them going under. Even run DMC. I'm DMC in the place to be. I went to St. John's University and since kindergarten, I acquired the knowledge. And after 12th grade, I went straight to college. Now every kid may not go to college. Every kid may, doesn't want to, but the mindset is I'm going to do something when I graduate. Imagine if they were listening to that in their Apple AirPods every day. You know, that's what we, that's what we need for our children. Different ways, after school programs, like you mentioned, TJ, many ways to reach them and teach them but make it fun, make it fun. Sorry to come across as a preacher, not a teacher, but I'm in the I think that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with a little preaching and teaching. Um, I will say this, Al, um, that what you're really, when I hear you talk and whether it is preaching or teaching, I am hearing the fact the need to build connections, the need for people to feel like they're at home, that they're making a difference. That's on the teacher level. That's on the student level. As we begin to, to wrap this up, we let, I want to just put this out there. We wrote this blog post featuring six incredible educators then and now. Um, we wanted to feature some educators that may not be as widely known as some typically discussed in black during black history month i will also say that we would be remiss if this stops in february and i think we've all recognized these conversations have to transcend months they have to transcend the typical time if we really want to build a culture that attracts you know teachers of color other, you know, others that would have never been interested in education and build a diverse workforce that can really start to connect with our students. You know, for us as, you know, practitioners, yourself as a practitioner, for our audience, how do we keep this conversation going? How do we celebrate and honor individual individuals that make them also and others see, you know what, I want to be a part of education. It is a noble and glorious profession. How do we take Black History Month and go well beyond the 28 days um, that it's allotted? I think we um I think we do exactly what you guys are doing, right? We take the plunge, like take the first step because people when people that's what leadership is about. When you're an example, when you're a model, people will follow your model. And I think we um you know, we, we, we highlight, we highlight these folks. We keep the conversation going. We talk about, it. we're intentional about it. And, um, and, and, and then people will see, hey, they're not just talking about it. They are about it because they're doing it. So I need to do it as well. And then I think we need to hold each other accountable too. That we need to say, you know, we, we, we all have a huge uh, network on social media um, and professionally in, in the state of Delaware. 
I think that we need to make sure that we're supporting other leaders and saying, hey, we'd love to see you highlighting um, you know, other uh, 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 leaders, other African-American leaders and teachers, those who you may not typically get a little of that sunshine. Let us know if you need resources. We have those resources. Let's share some of those best practices and let, let me support you. Let me coach you, you know, through that. And I think that's what really is going to help us break through this barrier and getting people to understand that we know some will be move at a different pace. Some will, some will move at a slower pace because it may be out of their comfort zone. We've got to be patient with them with that. And we've talked about that guys a few times in, in you know, different shows that we've got to learn to, uh, to, to, to embrace people for where they are and then it's cool to help them get to where they need to go. But let's get over the fear of it because no one benefits from fear. The silence becomes, uh, uh, becomes definitely for, for, for all of us. So we've got we've to help people, empower them to use their voices, but be, be an example for them. And then let's make sure that, um, that we are uh, 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 communicating with those folks um, who, um, who need to be highlighting. If they're, if they're educators out there of color who, um, who are not in the network, I saw a young man who posted on Twitter that you know uh, he was a student in a school 10 years ago. And he said, I sat in this one the same classroom and now here I am with my name on the wall you know, as, 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 a, as a teacher. And um, it had all of these likes, but nobody retweeted it. And I said, how are young black men gonna wanna become teachers if none of you are tweeting this in your feed? You're just liking it, but you're not tweeting it. And this young man has like 200 followers. Like everybody's, now he had a thousand likes, but nobody followed him. So I said, let's be an example. So I put a challenge out and I said, listen, I want his followers to double before the night is over or I'm not, I'm not going to bed, I'm not going to sleep. Now I, don't, I, don't, now I stay up at night anyway, but I was hoping people would follow him. But in a few hours, his, his followers doubled. And it was more a symbol of, we can't just like it. We've got to take action. We've got to show him, lift him up. He made a decision. We want black males to teach. He put it out there, let's support him, but let's send the word out because, that, because there may be some other young student right now who gets that tweet, some high school, some college student says, you know what? I want that to be me as well. So we've got to make sure that we not only like it, We've got to make sure that we 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 talk about it, that we communicate it, that we that we highlight it, and that's why this blog post is powerful and it's going to really touch. It's what's needed around the world. Now, people don't see you on this podcast, so I don't know if you folks out there in America notice, but these are two white guys who are highlighting these African American leaders and educators because they know that in order for them to be effective, that everybody has to improve. Everybody has to benefit and everybody has to know their stories. So uh, kudos to you for doing that. And I know that those educators you highlighted love it because they keep retweeting it. They keep putting it out there. They love, they're writing their own blog post about the fact that they were in the blog post because it matters and they know that they matter. And that's how we diversify um, our educational community and all kids of all colors benefit from a diverse uh, teaching force. Well, I think if there's one thing to take away from this podcast, L, it is that to continue to lift the the system, a rising tide uh, raises all ships. 
And Joe brings it up about how we can move beyond February. You talk about keeping the conversation going, continuing to highlight the great work that's happening out there. Don't just like it. You got to retweet it, get the word out. Is there anything else that you would like to add for our listeners today? Um, I just, I just want the listeners that are out there, I want them to keep, because if they're listening to you, that means they're learners. And you know, one, one big thing for us is we want to develop a learning community, not a teaching community. So in order to learn, you got to listen. So they're listening to you. Now, hopefully they listen to me more than you. So that means um, they'll become more like Prince Well than you guys, but I usually lose that fight. But you know, that's great. Because if I get more guys like you, more leaders like you in the world, listen, we can turn this thing around. I mean, we can really, there will, there is hope in sight and there'll be hope in, in every school and passion, which you know you bring to uh, to the table. So I just, listen, don't like it, don't just like it, bike it. Meaning I need you to put it on a tricycle, put it on a 10 speed, put it on TJ has some little bike that he rides. I don't know what it is, got set of wheels on it, training wheels, I don't know what, but bike it, make it travel. Like this blog post is doing, it's traveling because people are reading it and they know that it's important work. So I just I just want people out there to realize that we are we we are united in the, we're united in this work, and it's not going to happen with one group of people. The fight for equal justice, the fight for equality, the fight to uh, to, to eradicate racism has never been one taken up by one race of people. It's been a united effort, and um, and I think that as long as we believe and understand that lifting up everyone means that we empower everyone. I think we're, we're moving in the right direction and the connections. Let's stay connected. Everybody stay connected and, um, and stay focused and stay positive. Well, we thank you for your time. We're going to unify. We're going to keep the conversation going. We're going to stay connected. We're going to get that word out there. It's a call to action from principal L there. You have it. 302 thoughts, part of our one thing series today is all about choosing the education profession choosing to stay with our friend principal l you can find more content at the schoolhouse302.com for blog posts podcasts and more always focused on leading better and growing faster thank you for your time today l and we are going to stay connected thank you sir 